Section seven of Henry the Second by Louis Francis Saltzman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter five The Struggle with Becket. Part two. On his return from the Welsh expedition in July of eleven sixty three, Henry appears to have found his affairs rather involved and to have proposed to increase his revenue by appropriating the annual payment known as the sheriff's aid the exact points in dispute are obscure and will be discussed in a later chapter but it is known that the king swore by the eyes of god that the payment should be made part of the crown revenues and that the archbishop vowed by his reverence for those same eyes that no penny of it should be paid from his lands while he lived in the end henry had to give way and he was again defeated by becket about the same time in another matter still nearer to his heart during the retreat from toulouse in eleven fifty nine king stephen's son william count of boulogne and in right of his wife earl of surrey and warren had died leaving no children to prevent the county of boulogne falling into the hands of any adherent of the king of france henry took william's sister mary out of the nunnery of romsey where she was abbess and married her to matthew son of the count of flanders in spite of becket's very proper protests earl william's widow isabel de warren being still unmarried the king decided that her heritage would form a suitable provision for his brother william for whom he had once proposed to conquer ireland he therefore began to push the marriage forward but was stopped by the action of the archbishop who forbade it on the ground that the contracting parties were related within the prohibited degrees a papal dispensation had been available for the marriage of abbess mary but the opposition of thomas the archbishop proved so much more potent than the protests of thomas the chancellor that the projected marriage had to be abandoned the young William took the matter so much to heart that he retired to the court of his mother, the Empress at Rouen, where he shortly afterwards sickened and died on the 30th of January, 1164. Becket had deprived the king's clerks of their benefices, protected criminals from the king's justice, opposed the king's financial schemes, and thwarted the king's plans for his brother's advance he had also aggressively asserted the rights of canterbury against the earl of clare and others of the king's barons and had excommunicated the king's tenant william of Einsford, in a dispute over the advowson of a church the decision of which was claimed as belonging to the king's court even if he had been entirely in the right in every one of these questions it would not have been extraordinary if the king a violently self-willed man had become completely estranged and now the question of clerical immunities reached a climax a long list of crimes committed by clerks was presented to the king by his justices and one of these justices simon fitzpeter made a special complaint against philip de bras a canon of bedford the canon had been accused of the murder of a knight and had cleared himself by his oath before the bishop of lincoln but simon fitzpeter who was holding assizes at dunstable 
apparently considering that the verdict of the ecclesiastical court was contrary to evidence ordered him to stand his trial before himself philip refused and in course of argument used insulting expressions towards the justice which the latter reported to the king henry enraged at the insult to his representative demanded that philip should be retried on both charges of murder and contempt of court before a lay tribunal this claim becket successfully combated and the king had to be content with a trial before an ecclesiastical court the prelates who formed the court decided that the question of the murder had been finally disposed of by the acquittal before the bishop of lincoln and could not be reopened but for the insult to the king's officer they commanded that philip de bras should forfeit his prebend and go into exile for two years and should also make a public apology to simon fitzpeter clad in penitential garb henry declared that the sentence was absurdly light and determined to bring the whole question of clerical and lay jurisdiction to a definite issue an opportunity soon offered and at a council held at westminster in october eleven sixty three henry definitely demanded that the bishops should swear to obey the ancient customs of the realm which he claimed allowed a clerk to be indicted before a lay tribunal sent for trial to the ecclesiastical court and if found guilty degraded and being no longer a clerk sent back to the lay court to receive sentence there was no question of trying clerks before lay judges but the bishops headed by becket took up the line that the church's sentence must of necessity be just and that to inflict a further punishment after degradation would be to punish a man twice for one offence they would therefore only consent to the ancient customs of which they denied the antiquity and legality saving the rights of their order or in other words reserving the liberty to interpret them as they pleased the king at once broke up the council deprived becket of the custody of the honours of eye and berkhamstead and withdrew the young prince henry from his care an interview between the king and the archbishop outside northampton did not mend affairs but by the advice of arnulf bishop of lisieux henry adopted the policy of detaching the bishops from becket and gradually isolating him bishop hilary of chichester had from the first been willing to accept the customs and gilbert foliot of london and roger archbishop of york lent their aid more from dislike of the primate than from approval of the king's schemes finding himself almost unsupported the archbishop listened to the arguments of the papal nuncio philip abbot of aumone and robert of melon bishop-elect of hereford and agreed to withdraw the obnoxious reservation and accept the customs not content with the verbal promise thus made before him at oxford henry determined to have the acceptance of the customs formally and publicly ratified and accordingly he summoned a great council to meet at clarendon in january eleven sixty four at this council of clarendon were present the peers both spiritual and lay in full force the earls of cornwall leicester hartford essex and chester arundel salisbury and ferrers the counts of Brittany and eux richard de lucy the justiciar richet of l'aigle becket's old patron simon fitzpeter the insulted justice 
and the representatives of such great families as Boone, Mowbray, Brose, Warren, Cheney, Beecham, and Dunstanville, all of whom gave their assent to the code of laws now presented on the king's behalf as embodying the customs of the realm concerning the church prevalent in the time of his grandfather Henry I. The prelates had apparently expected that they would be called upon to promise obedience to certain vague and undefined ancient customs, which could be subsequently eluded by denying that any particular regulation which infringed their privileges rightly belonged to that category. When they heard the very definite and exact claims advanced by the crown, they met the demand for their assent with an absolute and united refusal, as was indeed to be expected. The details of these constitutions of Clarendon will be discussed elsewhere, but the main points were briefly as follows. 1. The claim already referred to, that clerks might be accused before a lay judge, and if condemned and degraded by the ecclesiastical court, the proceedings in which were to be watched by one of the king's justices might be sentenced as laymen. 2. That appeals might be made from the bishop's court to that of the archbishop, and from the latter to the king, without whose leave no appeal should be made to the pope. 3. To strengthen this latter provision, it was ordained that no ecclesiastic should leave the kingdom without the royal license, that no tenant-in-chief should be excommunicated or his lands interdicted without the king's leave, that pleas touching advowsons should belong to the king's courts and that the sons of villains should not be ordained without the permission of their lords. Becket, as leader of the church party, rejected the customs completely. He reasserted the finality of sentences passed in ecclesiastical courts, and declared that the proposed sentencing of the condemned clerk by the lay court would be to bring Christ before Pilate a second time. The prohibition of papal appeals he denounced as contrary to the consecration oaths of the bishops, by which they were bound to allow such appeals, and the restriction on the passage of the clergy across the seas, he declared would place them in a position of inferiority as compared with laymen, and would discourage pious pilgrimages. Finally, on the whole question, he took up the uncompromising attitude that the church was the giver of laws and the ruler of kings, and that human laws which interfered with its privileges were of no effect. Negotiations were opened on the king's behalf by the bishops of Norwich and Salisbury, who pointed out to Becket the probable consequences for all the prelates of inflaming the king's anger, which consequences they themselves would be the first to feel, as they were out of favour with Henry. Their representations proving of no effect, the earls of Cornwall and Leicester besought him to consider the difficult position in which they and other peers, faithful sons of the church, would be placed if the king persisted in his demands to the point of ordering the arrest and trial of the archbishop. Finding him obdurate, they withdrew, and the next attempt at effecting a compromise was made by two knights of the Order of the Temple, Richard de Hastings, the English Grand Master, and Haute de Saint-Omer combining in themselves the attributes of knights and ecclesiastics they were well suited to act as arbitrators and their arguments appear to have had some effect so that when at last the impatient crowds of courtiers began to threaten and show signs of violence 
the wearied archbishop broke down under the strain and condescended to an unworthy act of casuistry turning to his astonished fellow prelates he exclaimed if the king insists upon my perjuring myself i must do so and must hope to purge the sin by future penance proceeding to the king's council chamber he declared his acceptance of the customs honestly in good faith and without deceit and by his command the bishops also signified their consent henry at once demanded that becket should swear to observe the customs and should affix his seal to a written copy thereof to the first demand becket replied that a priest's word was as good as an oath while the question of sealing he managed to waive for the time being accepting a copy of the customs by way of protest following up his victory henry caused both archbishops of canterbury and york to write to the pope desiring him to confirm the customs this they did to please the king knowing well that the pope would refuse to sanction any such infringement of the church's privileges at the same time henry desired the pope to appoint the archbishop of york legate for all england alexander while refusing to confirm the customs granted the legation to archbishop roger but by exempting becket and the church of canterbury deprived the grant of its point henry indignantly returned the letters of legation and refused a further offer of the legation for himself becket left clarendon deeply humiliated at his own weakness and even went so far as to suspend himself from the performance of divine service for a time a letter to the pope explaining and lamenting his action received a sympathetic reply virtually absolving him from the promise which he had made but had never intended to keep not content with this however he determined to visit the papal court at this time established at sens in person and actually set sail from romney with that intention but was foiled in his attempt to cross the channel by contrary winds coupled with the boatman's fear of incurring the king's anger this infringement of one of the articles of the clarendon constitution was reported to henry and served to embitter him yet more against becket and to precipitate the crisis which now arose one of the king's officers john the marshal having brought an action in the archbishop's court touching an estate held of the manor of pagham and sussex being defeated in his claim availed himself of the section in the constitutions which permitted an appeal to the king and made such an appeal taking oath that justice had not been done to him the archbishop was accordingly ordered to attend and answer the plea at westminster on fourteenth september eleven sixty four on that day becket was unwell and sent four knights with letters from himself and from the sheriff at kent testifying that he was ill and alleging that john's case ought to be set aside as he had deceitfully sworn upon a tropiary or hymn-book instead of upon the gospels the king vowed that becket's plea of illness was false stormed at the knights refused to listen to them and named a fresh day sixth october for hearing the suit at northampton by this time the breach between the once inseparable friends had so widened that the king would not send even formal documents direct to the archbishop as to do so would involve addressing him with a polite formula of salutation 
which was very far from expressing his real feelings for the council to be held at northampton therefore becket instead of receiving the personal summons due to his rank was summoned through the sheriff and when he greeted the king at northampton he was refused the kiss of welcome john the marshal was absent on the king's business at the exchequer on the first day of the council but next day he duly appeared in court and becket was ready to answer him henry however swept aside becket's arguments and pleadings and accused him of contempt of court for not having appeared in person on the previous occasion and demanded sentence against him the court fearing the king and considering that becket had been guilty of contempt condemned him to be at the king's mercy theoretically this meant that he forfeited all his chattels to the king but in practice the forfeiture was commutable for a fixed sum which varied in different parts of the country for a citizen of london the fine was a hundred shillings for a man of the privileged county of kent only forty shillings in this case however the court arbitrarily departed from the established custom and pronounced sentence of complete forfeiture to decide on the verdict was one thing to pronounce sentence against the head of the english church was another the barons declined to do so and said it was clearly a task for the spiritual peers the latter retorted that they could not be expected to sentence their own head but finally by the king's orders sentence was pronounced by the aged bishop henry of winchester a thorough supporter of becket's ecclesiastical policy hardly had this been done when henry demanded of the archbishop an account of three hundred pounds owing for the honours of eye and berkhamstead which he had held of the king's grant thomas very rightly replied that he had had no notice of any such demand and further stated that he had laid out the whole amount and more in building operations on the king's behalf so far as berkhamstead is concerned the pipe rolls seem to show that all arrears due to the king had been paid the previous year but as the honour of eye was not accounted for while becket held it as chancellor it is possible that there might have been some foundation for the claim though nothing could justify the way in which it was advanced whatever the rights of the case the verdict was of course against becket and when he protested against the indignity of being called upon to find sureties for payment he was told that his goods having been declared forfeit he was no longer a man of substance accordingly the archdeacon of canterbury became his surety for one hundred pounds and the earl of gloucester the count of eu and william of Einsford for one hundred marks apiece End of section seven